What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. fans how you doing it's your boy john of the macri with you for another episode of the Knicks film school podcast um coming at you at the end of a week in which the knicks have gotten back practicing under their new head coaching staff um but other than that there's not a whole heck of a lot going on in knicks land as far as news and rumors um we still have Almost two months to go until we get to the draft. So um, like we did last week with my conversation with Aubrey Omari, um, decided to switch it up a little bit again this week and bring on someone who, you know, does not talk about basketball for a living or as a main pastime. Um, today's episode, which actually we're splitting into two parts because it was such a long conversation and I we just had so much to talk about, uh, is with comic book creator Mark Sable. So. Mark Sable is uh, one of the preeminent independent comic book creators around. Um, He's also worked on Marvel books, DC books, uh, broke in um, in a a very popular image comic book, which I will let him tell you about. Um, And he's also done some other crazy cool stuff as well. He went to Duke during one of their championships. And of course, he's a Knicks fan. And we talked a bunch about the Knicks and about basketball, but. We also talked about some other stuff as well. Uh, Super interesting conversation. And I'm actually really happy that, you know, things are a little slow right now because I love talking to Knicks fans who have made it in the world, doing something cool and, um, you know, talk to them about some of the things that they've uh, that they've done. So I hope you enjoy it as well. That is uh, coming at you now. It's, of course, again, part one. And uh, because it's a longer conversation, part two will drop tomorrow. Um, what else? Oh, how could I forget? You know what time it is. It is my bookie time. Yes. Before I get to my conversation with Mark Sable, a reminder, if you have not already signed up for my bookie and you are someone who enjoys making sporting events even more fun than they already are. I mean, what are you waiting for? The NFL is here. The NBA is still on. You know, we're getting close to the finals. All this stuff is happening. And here's the best part. If you go to my bookie and you enter the promo code overtime, you could get up to $1,000 in free play. So that means whatever you deposit, they will double your initial amount up to $1,000, which is a pretty great deal. Um, plus, if you go to um, my bookie and sign up and use that promo code overtime and you want even a better chance to win something else. And what is that something else? That is a $500 giveaway at the end of every month, which is coming up soon. Um, take a screenshot of your signup page and email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. So one more time, sign up, use the promo code overtime, take a screen grab of your MyBookie account and email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. Dot com and $500 will be given away at the end of September. And without further ado, here's my conversation, the first part of my two-part conversation with comic book creator Mark Sable. Okay, joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, uh, I can hardly t- contain my excitement because we've been we've been talking um, before I pressed record for the last 10 minutes and I, I could tell this is going to be fun already. Um, I'm getting in the habit of having some high profile people on this podcast. Uh, I don't know what I did to deserve that, but I'll, I'll take it. Uh, so joining me now is the author and creator of uh, some of the most 
interesting and exciting and quite frankly, just really, really good comic books of the last 15 years. Um, grounded, uh, among them, unthinkable graveyard of empires, the dark. Um, you probably know him as the author of God Killers, uh, and upcoming in November. I'm, I'm going to try not to pr- mispronounce this, but I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> Miskatonic. Did I get that right? You nailed it. Okay. Yeah. Mark Sable. Mark, welcome to the program, man. How are you? I, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah. I've, as I've said off, off air, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the pod. Uh, your, your newsletter is something I look forward to literally every day. Um, it helps, helps keep me sane. Um, which is saying something when, when news about the Knicks is something that's keeping me sane in a pandemic. Imagine but. writing it uh, and having, the, <laughs> and having the, the writing process. Well, you do. I, I'm going to say something really, really nice. I'm sure you, you, you don't want me to. I don't want you. I already cut this off, but I'm going to, I'm just going to say, I think that the reason you, you get, you know, good guess or what you know, do well, the reason I look forward to reading it is that, you are you you maintain a degree of optimism that I find it hard to while at the same time being real and and breaking things down in, de- in in detail. So it's not you know it's not doom and gloom but at the same time it it's 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 just I really learn a lot every every time I'm I probably learn a lot more than I did in in actual film school. So, <laughs> so I so well, um I don't think I learned very much in uh in you know, any, any kind of school. Um, so I do try to educate, uh, to the extent that I can. Um, I actually, you know, something you just said, it, it struck me because I, I think it's an interesting place to, to start because I, I find a little bit of therapy, I guess, so to speak in writing about the Knicks. And it's, it's this weird exercise for me where I get to kind of work out I, I don't know, because I'm obsessed with this team. I've always been obsessed with them. It's the thing that I love and the thing that I love to think about. And the the things that it leads me to think are not good things always. But that process is a thing that for me, it does a lot. You have made a career. I don't want to say exclusively out of writing comic books that don't always tackle um, the happiest subjects. Maybe that's putting it lightly. Um, and yet you clearly derive a good amount of enjoyment from from creating these stories. Um, what is that like for you? Um, and, and what is that process like? Yeah, that's really interesting. I'd never made the connection between like between those two things. Well, did um, I mischaracterize? Cause no, I, I, not at all. No, no. I think you actually you hit on something. So, I mean, a lot of the books I write, I mean, look, so Grounded, the first book I wrote, was about a kid who gets sent to a high school for superheroes where everybody has powers except him, which is probably the lightest book that I've written. But if you think about it, I was like, oh, like that, that was like a metaphor for how I felt in high school, like um, growing up on, on Long Island. Um, and, we're going to, we're going to get into Long Island. Don't worry. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into, to, yeah, it was an interesting place to grow up. Um, but uh, you know, uh, and, fe- but feeling a sense. And I think the reason that book resonated with, 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 with fans was just that, you know, it, it really was a metaphor for how, for how I felt and how a lot of people felt was just was like literally did, did feel powerless in high school. Now, again, I didn't have like some horrible experience, but I think, you know, most of us probably, um, with the exception maybe of, of like, if you, you know, you're like a superstar athlete or something, our high school is like not the best time of your life, hopefully. Um, you know, with other stuff, then it gets into really darker things where, you know, unthinkable was very much a reaction to 9-11. Um, you know, it was, I mean, literally had to do with, you know, this real life think tank from 9-11, who can talk about more later, about, you know, where uh, the Department of Homeland Security asked in, in, re- in the real world, like asked writer, uh, novelists and screenwriters to come up with worst case terrorist scenarios. Or- That's wild, by the way. When I was reading your email, obviously today, I, I like I, maybe I is that like out there and is that known? Because I did not. Yeah, know that. it's and there's possible there is more than one think tank because I've heard so many people claim they were part of that think tank in, in Hollywood that I'm starting to think like either there was more than one or just people are, are BSing. So. Um, I, I don't know, but yeah, it was a real thing. Like, I mean, I, I want to say I read about it in the times. I mean, and that's where I got the idea for it. Um, so the idea was let's get, um, you know, 
people called the the uh, I think the 9/11 report called 9/11 um, you know and, and and for people who haven't read the book it's like I'm no way making light of 9/11 or think it's like a fun topic um, yeah you know, that, and if you read it you it's was, was it's very clear that and, you're not doing that, um, <laughs> but make that just, clear. And, and also want to make it clear is it's not a conspiracy book because once when I was promoting that book they put me on uh, the publisher put me on a podcast and it became clear it was like a Kind of one of those, you know, like, oh, uh, like, you know, Bush did nine eleven like podcasts, and I was oh like, no, and you were uh, stuck on it, it. yeah. Ugh. And I was like trying to be polite, like, and but like at the same time, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say like, no, jet fuel didn't burn down those towers. Like, I mean, I, I, I was living in New York at the time, so like, I know what happened. Um, anyway, so yeah, so the idea was the nine eleven report called it a failure of of imagination. And the idea was like, well, okay, let's then go to imaginative people and try to think of, well, what are the, the terror scenarios that we haven't thought of things that seem like they come out of a movie, right? Like, and like, let's sort of war game them out and think about, okay, what is like, okay, you're, you're, you know, you're a writer, you have unlimited resources, pretend you're a terrorist, what would you do? And then we can think of like ways to stop them. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't part of that. Um, I just read about it and I, and my version was coming up with a fictional, you know, my version was coming up with a fictional, uh, a fictional writer who joins this think tank and then their terrorist scenarios start coming true. Um, I can come back to talking about the think tank stuff, but like for that book, it was definitely a feeling that I had the, the, the theme of that book. I mean, the, the character was like me, a writer who felt very, not just uh, who felt, I guess, again, you can come back to power, powerlessness, but feel very powerless after 9-11, especially because I feel like without getting too political, I don't think, I think we were at a point right after 9-11, if you lived in New York, where things really did change. Like I remember. Um, I agree with like, that hundred It was palpable. I remember walking around a corner. I lived downtown Manhattan and, and just smashing into somebody. And if that had happened, a week before 9-11, this was probably happened like two weeks after, like it would have been at certainly words would have been exchanged and it, or it would have been a fight, which I probably would have lost badly, no matter who it was. But <laughs> it's okay. we were both, I just remember myself and the other guy, we were both just like, oh my God, are you okay? And, but I think on a national level, people were willing to really, to make sacrifices and we were instead told to go shopping. And then and, and I've had the occasion now to, to work with a lot of people in the military and, you know, to see that since then, regardless of whether you agree, you know, with, with how we've conducted the, the wars and which wars we've gone into and like very little of this country has been asked to sacrifice. It's basically just the military and their families, um, which is a lot of people, but a very small percentage of people. And there was this frustration with that and this feeling of like, I didn't, you know, I have a guilt still, I think, weirdly, like a survivor's guilt about oh, wow. yeah, okay. what, why, what could I have, you know, like, I wish I could have contributed more. And, and I've found ways, I think, to, 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 to help in that, in that area now. Um, but um, yeah, so I think there, you know, there's certainly, to get back to your original question, I mean, yeah, there's definitely this, there's something very cathartic about writing this dark stuff. And, you know, like God, God Killers has been about, um, the, the, the most recent book that's been out is like, um, this team of, uh, special forces that fights insurgents who are using weapons as, uh, using like supernatural creatures as weapons of mass destruction. Which and by the way, that, can I just say re reading the book that you, you sent me, uh, the, the, that's quite a creature that pops up at the end. Um, well done. Whoever oh, conceived of that. So yeah, it's, it's a real folkloric creature. I can, I don't mind spoiling what, what it is for the first issue because we're just like five out and, and there's plenty of other monsters every issue, but it's called a, I'm going to mess up the pronunciation. It's a penangolin, I believe is what it's called. It's a, that, it's from that sounds about right. like Southeast Asian, Filipino, uh, Malaysian folklore. Um, it's, I say both because it, the pronunciation, the, the, the spelling and pronunciation depends on, on where it's from. But part of the reason I wrote about that was I was like reading and, and listening to podcasts about all these conflicts I didn't know were going on in the world that we were involved in. Like, so I didn't know, like there was a, there was an Islamic ex insurgency in the, um, in the Philippines, um, that was both brutal. And then the, the Filipino government's response to it was really brutal. Um, and then, Hey, we've had soldiers in the Philippines, which you wouldn't think. 
Um, you know, and then throughout that series, I write about stuff going on in Syria. Um, and for that, so for some of it was just like, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to lecture my audience and tell them well, what, what you should think about it. But I want to, I'm like, you know, if I don't know about these things and I follow that stuff pretty carefully, like we should know that people should be aware, like that we are involved in many, many conflicts all over the world that are, um, that are pretty brutal. Um, the other thing about that book was it's about God colors is its main character is an Arab American. Um, uh, he's a Muslim, but he's struggling with his faith. Um, and as a soldier, he's also somebody that's constantly, his loyalty is being questioned. And I felt that because I'd written other books about terror where, um, Muslims or Arab Americans were the antagonists that like, I was maybe doing a disservice in some way. Not that, look, I mean, you know, there, there really is Islamic extremism, but, um, you know, I think we've also learned there's, there's, you know, white nationalism. That's just as much, if not more of a problem right now. And that we don't really, we didn't, weren't really seeing characters, you know, we weren't seeing necessarily positive depictions in the media of Arab Americans. And it's, you know, it's tricky when you're writing about terror, but, you know, there are plenty of, you know, that like there are many loyal uh, I mean, well, I don't want to say many loyal Arab Americans, I mean, almost all of them are, bit, but in the military that you wouldn't know about. And, you know, I went to, you know, I went to, re- I did my, not just did my research, but I read it by. Um, and that's obvious, by the way, when you're reading the book and, and just, I want to throw in there, I, I admire the fact that you got in the muck with a, with a, with an issue that like, even as you're talking about it, you struggle to find the right words, right? Because it's like, you never want to, you know, say the wrong thing or offend the wrong person, but you know, you're dealing with sensitive issues here and you do it in a way that's tactful and it makes for a very, very compelling story. And I actually think, you know, it's like, that is what makes a story compelling, right? When you get into an area that isn't, safe and neat and comfortable, right? Like you have to get <laughs> thinking of a uh, 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 Tom Thibodeau quote uh, connecting to the next. Um, like he, he likes to live in the uncomfortable, like your, your books, they kind of live a little bit in that uncomfortability, whether it's the subject matter or the way the story is told. And I, I personally just find that really effective. Thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that, that, that you feel that way. Cause it is, it's every time it's a little bit scary doing that. You know, oh, it has um, to be. I, I can't imagine. Of, you know, look. I mean, it's impossible not to offend somebody, right? Right? Like, there's. I, I think you know. You, you hope you don't want to. You, you know, I don't. I don't you know, you don't want to offend the wrong people. By which I mean, like people who are marginalized. Well, like there's that. but there's and, different ways to offend. If you listen, there to 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 be to not consider something and to close your your mind off to way the way someone may be thinking or feeling that's one thing but to consider all of the different ways that people think and feel and to internalize that and to carefully consider it and then process it and then come out with whatever you're going to come out with which again what what you do is god knows levels above anything that i take it or i put out but like i experience the same kind of thing where it's like you know if i write something tomorrow about, you know, RJ Barrett, uh, it was announced that they didn't make a all rookie oh, yeah. team. If I write something tomorrow where it's like, listen, it was justified. That's going to piss a lot of people off. But at the same time, it's something that I've thought about and I've processed. And it's like, I'm comfortable saying that you clearly do your, as you're saying, you clearly do your homework on this stuff. So it's not as if you're just coming out. If someone gets offended, okay, that may be the case, but it's, it's almost like it's, it's earned maybe is the, the best way to put it. I, that's what I try to do is at least look, you know, I can't control anybody's response to it, but what I can control is like, you know, again, with God killers was like, I reached out to, um, I mean, I, so I had gone, I had the honor actually twice, um, of going to the world, the first comic convention in the middle East, which was held in Dubai, went first in 2012. And again, in 2015, um, when I went in 2015, I broke my arm in an ATV accident, um, which is a whole other story. But, <laughs> that that um, does sound like a story. But the first time I went was wonderful. Um, the people could not have been nicer. I was very nervous as like, you know, this, this Jewish kid from New York, like going, you know, going to an, to an Arab country, even though it's very safe, um, in a Muslim country for the first time, um, people could not have been, uh, the, the people there could not have been more, more welcoming. Like you hear a lot about 
like um, how hospitable people in the Middle East are. And in my, you know, in my experience, it, it's incredibly true. But so through the people that I met there, you know, I met, I like, I wound up finding people that I could then take when I was writing the book, when it was just in script form, just saying to them like, Hey, you know, you're a Muslim. Like one was a Muslim from the Philippines who now lives in the UAE. Another was, um, uh, another was a, a Palestinian who lives, um, who lives, uh, also, uh, I believe lives in the UAE. Um, and, um, both of them, you know, it was very scary for me to show them my work. Um, and I was very much waiting for them to hear like, no, this entire idea is garbage. You can't do it. Um, thankfully they were very supportive and it was actually interesting because, because they weren't Americans. I think they were like, yeah, we appreciate you talking about not only appreciate you having this, this like Muslim American character and being a positive thing, but like, oh, but actually showing them struggle with their faith, that would be something that would probably be really hard for them to do in countries that are not as free as ours. Um, cause as, as, as much as I love the UAE, like their, their freedom of speech is not what ours is as much as ours might be under attack and things like that. Um, I know that at one point prior to the pandemic, like you couldn't, like a lot of social media, like, uh, Skype even, and, uh, Zoom's working now, but like, I couldn't Skype with my friends there. I had to like make long distance phone calls because they were like blocking. They're, they're very nervous about like, uh, communication and stuff like that. But yeah, my, my point is, it's like, if I feel like if I've done the work, I can still make a mistake and I can always, you know, say I'll do better next time. But at least, yeah, I'm, I, I try to do the work. I try to come, come by it honestly. And, um, yeah, I had a, another book where the protagonist was a trans character and I hired a trans consultant because I'm, I'm a straight white guy. So like, um, I wanted to make sure that I had, you know, somebody was looking this over and, you know, I didn't, they definitely made the book better because there were things, nothing like, I think it was less things that were offensive that I missed than just things about, there are things that just my limited perspective in life, I was not going to pick up on that they were able to say like, yeah, this person, this person wouldn't think of their body like this. Um, or this person would think of this. And, and it, it's, you know, it's, it's an exercise in humility because I think, you know, it's the, 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 the writer part of me just is like, no, like, this is my story. I know how to tell it. I know what these characters are going to do. And, you know, it's like, but you know, it's like having an editor or anything else. It's, it, it, it ultimately, it ultimately, you know, makes the story better. And just, you know, look, comics in general is, is a collaboration. I mean, I only, I'm the writer. I, I, the best part of my job actually is that I get to work with all these talented uh, artists who have also been from all over the, all over the world. Like, uh, uh so Mon House is from, uh, Uruguay, I believe. But the, but the, but the, but the writing part and the creation part, just to touch on something you, you said a minute ago, you know, I could, I could understand the, the feeling of like the conflict of like, well, I'm a, I'm a straight white guy and I'm telling these stories about a, a trans character or a Muslim character or whatever. But at the same time, as you just spoke about a minute ago, there are impediments to speech and, and all of these types of things around the world. And, and even here in America, if you are a, Again, if you're a trans person, you may not have uh, people banging down your door to tell your story in the way you want to tell it. So you need people from non-marginalized groups to step up. And when those people do like you do and take the extra step and make sure you're getting the right perspective, you know, I just think that goes it goes so much further. Um, which is why, I, you know, I, I think you're the books that you put out and, and look like you've written for, for DC and Marvel and stuff too. So it's like you, you, you've, you've done it across the spectrum, but the fact that you're still dedicated to the independent stuff, um, and telling these stories that maybe there's not a whole lot of other people telling, um, you know, that's where I, I got to think that's the thing that keeps coming back for more. It, it is. And it's, you know, the, the great thing about like, you know, comics compared to other mediums, like the negative part is like, well, you know, there's not as much, I'd make a lot more money writing for TV and I, I still hope to do it and movies. And I've been lucky that a bunch of my, a bunch of that, like unthinkable got optioned. It was almost a show TV show on Fox got very far along. Um, I've had a lot of those almost things. Um, that said with the, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to get paid writing anything, which is, it's, it's like, that was my dream my whole life. So, um, but 
the great thing about comics is that there really is a trip because I, I think a lot of it because the budgets are just lower, but like there's a, there's a lot more room to experiment and people are, are willing to take risks in the in the way that they're not when it's like a hundred or $200 movie budget. Um, I'm always impressed with, so I'm impressed with any, any art, any writing that takes risks. Um, because you, you know, so, but you know, comics gives me a tremendous amount of freedom to do that. I mean, the other part is just, you know, the art artists are, are amazing and can do, you know, with, with their, just, you know, just with a pen or with, you know, whether it's, a, you know, physical or, or, or digital, um, can do with, uh, you know, just with paper and a, or, or, you know, and a computer, like what they, they can put, put, you know, do the kind of spectacle that costs hundreds of millions of dollars to put on screen. Um, and that, and that gives you a ton of freedom too, but there is just, yeah, I, I found that it's been one of the places where I've been able to get things published that I don't, you know, I think would be really tricky to get made uh, as film or TV, even though I, I hold out some hope that, that some of the stuff that I've written is, is still going to, you know, still get made. I want to talk about how film and TV, specifically film, I guess, although now the the, the lines between film and television are, are getting blurrier by the day, um, how much that Im- impacts the business. But first, I actually want to take a step back because you mentioned it before, Jewish kid growing up on Long Island. Um, my wife is from Long Island. I am not. I am from the island of Staten, which is. Just, it, <laughs> it is another island it is it is it is uh, the, the lesser of the two islands if I, I i could say that because i spent the first 18 years of my life there um in any case long island has never been the sense to me of as a place where um well two things actually uh and i don't know if these are connected i don't think of it as a big basketball place um, in terms of root, it's like you grow up rooting for your baseball team, whatever your dad roots for, um, in, in most cases, or, right. yep. y- yeah, or, or, and it's a big football, you know, Jets or Giants, mostly, mostly Jets. Um, I guess probably from the days when they used to, um, actually play out here. Um, so, yeah, and yet you're a big, a huge Nick fan, um, who, you know, grew up on the 90s Knicks. At the same time, I am equally fascinated by the fact that you, got into comic books because that to me screams creativity. It screams someone who grew up thinking I could do anything I want in life and I I could take this risk and I could do this thing that is not a traditional career. Whereas when I'm out here, I feel like when I look around, it reminds me of how I felt growing up on Staten Island, which is like, you feel limited. It's like, no, those are the cool jobs and the cool careers for people who are not you. Um, So, Talk to me a little bit about, I guess, your a your fandom and and b how you 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 know we're not confined to that that shell. Well, I think you know not being confined to that shell is is like a hundred percent was is my parents. You know, um, I think just that I had parents who were, you know, look both my both my parents were were like public servants. My mom my mom is is a retired uh, elementary school teacher. Um, my, my late father was a lawyer who only worked in the public sector. So he worked as a assistant U S attorney and then oh, wow. he okay. just worked for judges his whole life. Um, so they worked really hard and they just never told me I couldn't do anything. Although the funny thing is my father was like, never become a lawyer, never become a lawyer. And then I was like, okay, I want to become a writer. And he's like, well, maybe a lawyer wouldn't be so bad. I mean, so there is just, I think, you know, like. I plan on telling my daughter the same, by the way, I will tell my daughter to do anything other than be a lawyer. And you know, we were talking about this before we, we both went to law school and it's, I think unless you, uh, you know, the advice that I always give to people is like, unless you know, you really want to be a lawyer, I think there's a lot, you know, it's just like, it, it's, it's not a happy place. Like law school's no. not a happy place. Most law firms are not happy places. Um, I mean, that said, I think it's an honorable career. Like I genuinely think like lawyers do a lot of good. I'm one of the few people who probably think that, but justice, justice. It's all, it's all about the justice. My, my fandom is like, is, is, it, 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 except for one one area, which is I, I went to undergrad at Duke, so that's the only, literally the only winning team that the only team I've rooted for that's won a championship since 1986. That was the so if my if my timing is correct, were you there during when Brand was there? So just before it, I had pretty bad timing with that too, and I loved so going to Duke again, an incredible privilege to go there. 
um, on, on every level, uh, just being able to, I mean, it spoils you on going to games anywhere. I mean, I love the garden. I think it's, you know, the best professional place to see any sport. Um, but that said, like Cameron, just as a student, you're on the floor. Um, you know, and I've been inside Cameron. Cameron is Cameron is, uh, yeah, incredibly obnoxious. So I'm not going to defend that at all, but I will (laughs) say, um, you know, and I've said, you know, like I'm thinking of cheers that I've said that have been just, just, just awful trying to think back. But, um, it was, you know, seeing things up that, just seeing people that close. Um, and, and, you know, so yeah, my timing was, I, uh, so my, I went first year I was there was 93, 94. I graduated 97. Oh, okay. So I had Grant Hill my freshman year, which was incredible to watch. And just the other fun thing was like, you know, there was great in the ACC that time. There were, there were, there were, there were great players. So the first, you want to know the first name that comes to my mind? Oh yeah. Please tell me. Eric Montross for UNC. Uh, oh that, he so, was there, right? Yeah. And I, I, I shouldn't be proud of this, but I was yelling some stuff at Eric much. I mean, nothing like that would get me thrown out of it. Listen, he was, was a big, like, you know, he was a big doofy guy. Anything he yelled at him, I'm sure was, was well-deserved right behind his family. Like, oh. um, just, just, so I, I felt, you know, I mean, they were, you know, they grown family. So it's not like they were like little kids, right? Listen, like anything, he's a big boy, like, he, literally. And, and figuratively. And, but he, I uh, was, I think he was on the same team as VC and uh, Jameson too. Right. Or maybe they were, a year um, or so apart. This is where you're testing my memory. I mean, you know, so in that period, but so then my first year, we have Grand Hill. We go, we lose in the, in the final game. Nobody ever, they always, people remember the final four. They never remember like who is in the finals, let alone who lost. But we lost to Arkansas that year uh, in, the, in the finals. Um, and then after that, then the next year was the year that Coach K was out, which a lot of people don't remember. Coach K coached for a couple, for a few games, then had some kind of back injury. There are lots of rumors it was other things. I have no reason to believe that. Um, and it was the first year that we didn't go to, I think maybe the first, the only year that a Coach K coach team, uh, uh, you know, an assistant wound up coaching them, but did not go to any postseason tournament. Um, so not even the NIT. Um, so that really tested my fandom. And then it was like... It was good preparation. We're, we're okay after that. Then it's like, but, you know, we got to see, you know, again, I got to see like, uh, Tim Duncan play and, and, you know, and sometimes you'd even just go to like basketball courts on campus and you'd see, you, you think that the, I mean, the rivalry is real between the schools, but it's like, yeah, you'd suddenly see Grant being, you know, playing against like, like again, like Rashid or Stackhouse and like, they're just playing pickup. Like, and, and those nineties ACT teams were just, I mean, that's like, ugh. and I saw Charlie Ward both as a point guard and as a, <laughs> uh, and as a quarterback, which was, uh, which was in a, I mean, Duke's football team was terrible then. Um, and Kevin and Kevin Knox's dad. If you saw Kevin, if you saw Charlie oh, Ward play quarterback, you also saw oh, Mr. Knox. I had forgot. I had forgotten that. Oh my God. Very, very um, good so, wide receiver. Nice, nice guy too. I've talked to him so several yeah, times. I just missed those like brand Battier, uh, Jay Williams, uh, teams. Okay. Um, I did, you know, I guess the only connection, like, I guess Trajan Langdon still played for that for that '99 team, which lost in the which lost in the final four. Okay, um, but uh, or the finals again. Um, but yeah, so uh, but that said, I got to go back. Um, you know, in the few years after I graduated, I had friends there. They'd sneak me in games, and so I did get to see that team, that 2000 team, um, uh, win the uh, wait 2001. Sorry, team win. Uh, you know, play, play at Cameron when I whenever. I was living in New York till 2005. So whenever Duke would come and play in the garden, I'd, I'd see, or, or in West Point or in, you know, or in Jersey, I'd go see them. Um, when I come back, I usually come back to New York, um, around, you know, Thanksgiving, the holidays, at least I come back multiple times, but somehow Duke finds a way to get in a tournament. And it's like, it's like, whether it's an MSG or sometimes even even Barclays. So so Duke won in two thousand one. I'm just thinking about this. It never it never occurred to me before. Um, so you, and that's when right after you left, and that is right when the Knicks downward spiral spiral really really begins. I don't know if you're if that's an accusation, but uh, I I'm yeah, kind of I, I think I'm putting some of this on you. Um, so in any case. Uh, so the Knicks. So the other fandoms were like all passed down 
from my so I'm like a, a Knicks, Mets, Jets, and Islanders fan. So okay, you know Islanders are. Uh, Congrats on your new fan. owner as a, as a Mets thank, fan. Yeah. Thank you. That's the, the like that's the huge you know you know it's only happened in in, in, in for the Knicks. Um, but uh, uh, it, it'll happen one day when probably yeah, when I mean, we're dead. But anyway. You know, look, I'm, I'm very happy. We get into another. I'm very happy with with with, with who Dolan's hired right now. So if he lets them do their thing, um, I'll, I'll you know, I, I I don't I don't care. Um, uh, but it, it's um, but yeah, you know that that was all parents. So my my parents were huge Brooklyn Dodger fans. Um, so that old school. Through, I like it. Yeah. So like that translated through like I was not allowed to be a Yankee fan. Forget it. And and that was, you know. 86 was great, but there were those long years of just Yankees winning championships. And, um, I mean, Mets have been decent, but you know, the Knicks, um, yeah, my, my dad had, had been a fan. I know, I remember when I moved to LA, um, my, like, uh, my godmother basically was like, if you become a, a Lakers fan, I'll disown you, which never would have happened anyway. Right? The <laughs> idea of, I think I, I can't understand people who, who moved to other, I can't, I mean, I guess moving to another city is at least some excuse. I can't understand people who change teams. I was super disappointed. Like, I don't think it's man. possible. If you're, if you're actually a real fan, like a real, real, real fan of a team, it doesn't matter how bad they are or where you are. That, that doesn't leave you. It can't leave you. I don't think it does, but I do think there's a generational thing. Like you're younger than me, but like, Go even younger, like oh where well now root for players more than teams. They so. don't care, like you know. Um, I rem- okay to use a silly example. Like when I first started teaching, I would see kids come in with like Kyrie stuff, but he was on the Cavs, and um, now he's on the Nets. And like I don't, I don't, I can't say I see a whole lot of Kyrie jerseys, but like, um, like they still follow Kyrie. But he's he's not on the Cavs anymore. It's like they, they it's all about the players, a hundred percent. Yeah, I I it's which is which is a strange thing for me because like, I I mean I had my obviously especially those nineties Knicks teams. It's like it's actually hard sometimes to choose a favorite. I mean like Ewing is you know I loved Ewing, but like you know one of the two jerseys alone is a Mason you know is an Anthony Mason jersey. I mean he was amazing. You know just I love Starks. Like I, there was, there was nobody on that team. The only player I actually ever booed professionally. The only player I didn't like on those teams was Charles Smith for, you know, for, I was about to say there, there's only, I, I'm trying to think of like, if there's another guy on the nineties Knicks that any rational, re- reasonable Nick fan actively disliked it, 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 there's no other name that comes to mind. Like, you could have had issues with John Starks. I get that because he he did not come up big in, in some bigger games. But, you know, Charles Smith is the only guy I feel like you're any any Nick fan is allowed to actively dislike from that era. No, I you know, it's even like the most one of the more heartbreaking things recently was, was like when Oakley. I mean, forget about him, you know, getting, you know, getting kicked out of the garden, which was BS. But like, you know, when he was saying stuff about Ewing, like it was like, oh, man, it's like mom and dad are fighting, you know, like they're. It's it's yeah, not good. I, it's bad. I, it's bad. I, you know. Hopefully they'll 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 fix they'll get over that. And you know, um, just want Ewing to be healthy and everything. But like, um, man, it's just uh, yeah. Those were, you know, I don't know how much of it's nostalgia, but it always so much of it was also feeling like, you know, those teams had an identity. Those teams had. Um, I mean, obviously R- Riley was great, but I think even more under Van Gundy when it was just like, I mean you know, Riley leaving was one of the more heartbreaking things of my like sports fandom. Like I thought it was all over. How old were you when Riley left? So let me figure this out. Well, I mean, let's see. So been, you're, you said you're okay. I, I think I, I could. Born in 75. So I'm forgetting what year he left. So in. he left it. So you were 20. Okay. So were you, cause here's the thing where, where I talked to a lot of fans who were slightly older than me about the nineties teams and some of the events that happened during the nineties. And I can't, like they talk about how they felt when the Riley thing happened. And I was, I think 12 at the time. Cause it was, yeah, it was 95. So I wasn't really like, I couldn't get, I didn't get it really. I was just like, Oh, why did our coach leave to go to another team? I didn't get all like the backstory and like what was going on. Were you, were you like mad at the team that they didn't give him what he wanted at the time? Or were you just like, this sucks? Like, I, 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 I'm curious. I was more mad at Riley at the time. Um, I think I later became mad at the team. 
when I, as I got to know the details, I mean, we didn't, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't social media, right? Like there wasn't, you know, you get your insider stuff from like, you know, Peter Vesey, Vesey, like that's um, it. Like, yeah, whoever else. And, and like, there'd be stuff in the post, but it wasn't, and I'm not saying, look, you know, I, I admire Pete Vesey, like doing what he did when there wasn't, you know, like it was a lot harder to break stories, I think then. Um, so, you know, I didn't, I, or maybe I just didn't have the awareness of it. I was really upset. I, you know, it made me, I still hate the heat because of that. Um, you know, I, like, I felt like it was tampering and blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, it was like, man, just give him a piece of the ownership, like give him, give him whatever he wanted. And I think to understand why it was so upsetting, it's like, it, it, it would to relate it back to my Duke fandom is like, you know, so much of my Duke fandom is wrapped up around coach K, which, you know, love him or hate him. When you're, when you're have a team that's coached by him, you always feel like they have a shot in any game. And that's sure. what it felt Absolutely. with Riley, um, which was like, even against those Bulls teams. Um, and like, I always felt like I'd seen, I'd seen the, those teams pull out so many improbable wins. And, and I felt that way with Van Gundy too. It took a while to, you know, to like warm to him. And I actually wound up probably liking him even more than, than Riley. Cause he wasn't, you couldn't have two guy. more different guys. They were like literally in, in NBA coaching history, if you pick out like the top 50 coaches ever, and I, I would put Van Gundy in that, in that group, not even looking at the numbers, just like off the top of my head, like who's more different than Riley and Van Gundy. You can't eat. I'm sorry. You can't find me two more different guys. No, no, you can't. And I think, but he was like, you know, Van Gundy is just the perfect New York guy of this. Like, you know, he's not, he's, Look, he's not this slick, good-looking guy. He looks like a cab driver, right? But he's, you know, but he was, you know, like he he got the, you know, he 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 made those teams play, you know, play really tough, play great defense, um, and he, you know, look, he was literally willing to throw his body on the floor, um, you know, and, and wrap himself around players that were like twice his size. Like that's the kind of, you know, that's I think that's the kind of thing that New York fans appreciate. Um, not to generalize, but like, and I think that, you know, like we're hoping we can get, we can get from Thibodeau and, and we can get like, you know, like that's why I think, you know, look, New York fans appreciate defense. Let's talk about Tibbs because listen, I've, I've looked at Tibbs from every angle, but I, what I haven't done yet is really thought about, okay, it's, it's game one next year, right? Whatever the situation is, whether it's in a bubble, whether there's fans, whether there's no fans, whether Chris Paul's on the team, whether it's a team of scrappy nobodies, whatever. It's like, if they don't come out on that first game, like gangbusters at a locker room and get in like the opposing team shorts, like all like the way it used to be in the nineties, I think a part of me is going to, that's what I, I need to see that. I think that's what I need. Don't you kind of feel the same way? I, man, I, at this point, I just want to see some, like my, my bar for what I need to see, like, don't get me wrong. That would be great to see that would. And you know, in some ways that would make up, like, I'm not expecting, but you don't need to be good to do that. You just need to, you know, try hard. Yes. I, I, and I, and I do like, I, I want to say, like, I hope that that's some, like, I don't want to say, I think that's something he can bring. I hope it is. Um, you know, certainly he's done it before. There's a question of like, okay, well, you know, does it wear thin? Does it can you talk to today's players? I mean, I was somebody who wanted, I'll be honest, like I wanted somebody like Atkinson. I really wanted to like the slow rebuild. Let's develop the players. It's valid. But I've come around, you know, I've come around to, to like, I've accepted the bibs. I especially, I mean, I love the assistant hires. I mean, it seems like it's all about player development, yep. you know, and as much as, as some people want to say it's about, well, oh, it's, we're, we're going to get this Kentucky guy and that Kentucky guy, as we've seen them like fall off the board for various reasons. Like, you know, even if for some reason that was the thinking, like, well, no, it's here for that. No, I, I could listen. I, I, I will listen. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. This is legit. This is not, this was not for appearances. They, they, they're, they're, they're they are. And that, that's not to say they might not trade away a young player at some point, but they're, they're, they believe in this. So I, 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 Co-sign what you're saying, hundred percent. Well, it's funny because you're mentioning, you know, how like w- before we came on, like the news of RJ Barrett not making, uh, you know, not making either of the all yeah. the teams came and and it's it's a longer discussion. My fear was I saw became before I came on, I logged onto Twitter and I was like, I saw RJ Barrett trending, and my first thought was, 
oh my God, they traded him for Chris Paul. So I was like, they're not going to do that. Like, oh, that'll just motivate him. Like I, I, I will see, you know, like you talk about somebody because I did, I saw every game he played at Duke. Um, you know, I can't predict, I'm not somebody who's good at predicting how good a pro he'll be. I, you know, I think his ceiling is probably higher than some people have it. And, um, his floor is probably higher than his ceiling, you know, and what it may be lower, whatever it is. Um, that said, like his, I think his work ethic is really tremendous. Um, hold on. I want to, oh, I, I need to pick your brain on this for a second. Cause I, I certainly did not watch every game he played at Duke. Um, do you, do you feel like this rookie year is commensurate with what you expected? No, I expected more. You but, did. Okay. That's interesting. That said, looking back, it makes sense. Right. So I saw him play alongside Zion who, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. Did he play more games Duke's freshman year, or 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 his? Oh wow, year? that's that's a, well, no. How, to, when how many did he miss with the with that crazy ankle bit, thing? But but he came back, and he's just one of those. I mean, you know, from like you don't have to watch that many games to know like he's a special player. And I feel like, and and everything you know ran through him. And I feel like RJ still made an impact, and I that's something that impressed me. That like. You know, it's hard to be in his shadow. And even, you know, uh, well, he wasn't in, I would say, in Trey Jones's shadow, but like, in, and he's a, a player that I think might be interesting for the Knicks to look oh, at. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I would not mind Trey Jones wearing a Nick jersey at all next season. So, yeah, I was a big fan of his brother. Um, so I felt like, you know, RJ, like, had he come back to Duke, I'm not saying he should have at all. I mean, you're the number two pick. Of course you go. But like, you know, would have had a chance to have shine more. Maybe we would have seen more of his deficiencies, but I also think like, you know, it's just not easy playing. I mean, Zion's is a great teammate. I'm just saying like, it's not easy playing under that shadow. Then you come to New York and it's like, okay, so first of all, you're coming in a year when we lost KP, we get, we're, we're thinking we're going to get Zion or like, we, we, you know, we're thinking we're going to get this, we're thinking we're going to get KD. You know, we, we, we lost KP. We're thinking we're going to get like two, two, like something good, something good. Then we, and then we think we're going to get something in the draft. Like we finally, okay, number three, like, yeah, that's the, 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 uh, the, the draft odds screwed us like with this flattening of the odds. I, but okay, three, like you're still going to get a good player. And it turns out to at least appear to be a two player draft. Right. Um, then he's in a position where just like, and you could, you would talk about this much more intelligently than I am, but like, he he's somebody that like I think needs needs a real point guard to play with. He's gonna he's gonna if you put him and and I've gotten I've had a lot of offline conversations about um ever since I mentioned or I compared him to Harrow like a month ago. Um I've had a lot of offline conversations with people who are like if you gave if you put R, RJ into Miami's system from day one, right? And gave him and were surrounded him with that shooting and put him in that program with that coaching staff and that environment all around like it would be night and day. And I think that speaks to he's a guy that as he may not make teammates better on his own, which is when you talk about it was a two player draft like, yes, Zion and John may make the, the surrounding pieces better on their own maybe RJ is a guy who needs to have better surrounding pieces, but I do think we're going to see his ceiling raised a lot once he gets around those pieces. So I, I, and, and that's, listen, that's fine. That's like 95% of, or 97% of guys in the league. That's okay. Yeah. I think, and you know, I, again, I think that you, when you're, when you're three in the draft, there's a lot, you know, the expectations are high and, and in, in New, New York, York, the expectations. And again, I hundred percent agree. You put him in Miami, you put him on a lot of different other, a lot of other teams that you, uh, you know, okay. You know, uh, maybe not on, on, uh, Ryu Hachimori's team. Like you put him on the wizards. He's probably going to do worse, but no, like, but even, even on the wizards, listen, they had Bertans, they had Beal, they had, um, uh, <laughs> I was about to say, and Ish Smith, um, you know, they had, listen, they had, some people that did some things. I I think it was the worst situation for him specifically that he could have ended up on 
in the NBA. And you want to know what I hope? I hope on Leon Rose's first day of the job, you know what he did? He went to RJ Barrett and gave him a fucking apology note for the shit show that he was on last year. Sorry, I just had to say that. No, I, I hope he, okay, I'm good. I'm glad I'm allowed to curse now. No, you can say whatever you want. Sure, but yeah, I, I just was like, no, I, I feel the same way. And I think, again, as much as you can, you know, hear in the grapevine or just see from body language, he didn't seem somebody that got like discouraged in a long-term way from that. Like, no, I fact, think he, he was frustrated by the losing way better. Right. Like before, before the season was canceled. So again, I don't know, you know, like to me, I think the, the ceiling is probably like, he's a number two guy. I mean, which arguably you could say that about KP now, right? Like if only because of the injury. So, uh, you know, now, is that where he's going to wind up? Maybe, maybe, maybe he's just still, maybe he's just a really good starter and that's tough when you draft somebody with the third pick in the draft. But, um, I, I still have hope for him. You know, I do think, I know there's a contingent of Nick fans that, that, and I was probably one of them. I remember thinking like, like last year, like if we were going to get KD and Kyrie that like, wow, um, we could beat the Lakers offer. Like, like I thought we had better play. I, I just, I overrated our, 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 you know, the players that we had, that we could have traded theoretically oh, for, if we wanted to get for Anthony eight. Davis. And looking back, I'm like, no, as much as I, I would make, I would make fun of the Lakers for Laker fans for thinking like, okay, look at this garbage you surrounded uh, LeBron with. And like, you're arrogant to think you deserve well, like, no, but I- like they turn out to like Lonzo Ingram, like, those are a good player. Yeah, but even even though at the time I think any objective person would have put the Lakers offer um as being better, I think it was much closer then because I think back then you had I think Knox's value was a lot higher back then. I think Dennis Smith Jr.'s value was a lot higher back then. Um Ingram's value was lower, right? Like Ingram's Ingram uh, Ingram's year. value was, a th- I mean, he won the most improved player of the year award. You know? So, um, and we also hadn't seen um, Lonzo's shot. Like he, he shot whatever he was, 38 or 39% uh, from deep on decent volume this year. So yeah, the packages went in, in other, dire- in opposite directions. Um, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bury that AD possibility uh, quite yet. Yeah, I just they say that just because I'm like uh, I see people who are like you know you see, look you see this more than me you because I'm on Nick's Twitter but like you're putting yourself out there and getting all the all the all the hate you know like for having I get a little I get like, a little hate I get uh, not get that much not all that you know what I mean but certainly getting more than me like you know um, the only hate that I've got recently was when I I got so mad I think I may have may have like texted you a screenshot of this is like. I got so mad at Spencer Dinwiddie for whatever he said about the oh, because he was like oh, he's laughing dick. at the Knicks lottery thing. So I just he's was like, I, I just tweeted at him and I was just like, yeah, like too bad Kyrie's ass wants you traded. And <laughs> I'll give him credit because he wrote back and he was just like, well, if that's what happens, that's what happens. And I gave him class because I was so clearly troll. Give him, give him credit because I was so clearly trolling him. And man, I got like. Knicks fans in my DMs were, uh, sorry, Nets fans, you know, not that there are that many of them, but like, there well, was I was about to say, would you get two or three? Well, I was like, yeah, just a few, but it was like, still, they were, you know, they, they were hating on me. And, and actually, I'll say this another thing, like, I feel bad about, I mean, I'm mad at Kyrie because I feel like he took KD away from us and I hate the flatter stuff. But that said, um, I had a friend at the garden. Uh, she, she no longer works there, but when she worked there, like, you know, when I would ever, I'd get to go to a game, like, you know, I got to meet, like, I'd get to go to shoot around. I got to meet like Clyde Frazier. I got to take a picture with Starks. I met Kyrie when he was, a uh, his first year, um, they were playing Cleveland. So oh, wow. okay. I met him his first year, um, uh, for the Cavs. He could not have been nicer. Um, also by the way, he's not, as he's not as tall as whatever, whatever they're listening. I mean, this goes for everybody probably, but I was like, <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. Like I'm, he's listed as six something. I want to say I'm, I'm five, eight. Right. I was, maybe I was wearing some like dress shoes to look nice. So like maybe, and I was like, this guy's not that much taller than me. So, um, I had to make you, you feel know, good. It would make me feel good, cut, but he, he could not have been just, you know, again, it's your first year in the league, but they were like, Oh look, yeah. Like Mark went to Duke and this, you know, like, and he could not have been just, could oh, not yeah, have been a that's nice right. guy. So. He went to Duke to, oh, God, a lot, a lot of Duke guys, which is funny. All I think of is Lance Thomas, but oh, man, Lance is, Lance is interesting. Cause he was a, he was a transfer from Seton hall. Right. And oh, yeah, that's right. he was a, 
he was a Nick type player that like you were, he was, you know, I liked, I liked having him on Duke. He was somebody that came there that like, was like, you know, going to, going to dive for the, you know, going to dive for the rebounds, going to really gut it out like tough player. Um, I was happy to see him on the Knicks. I mean, not for him necessarily. Maybe it wasn't the best experience for him, but like, Hey, listen, he, he, he I think he enjoyed his time here. Yeah. We haven't, I'm trying like the core of the Dick, the, 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 the Knicks players that we've had that like uh, the, from Duke, like have not, it was not, I know we had like Duhan, right? Like we haven't picked. Oh man. Um, no, there haven't been many have there. Um, so I want to see RJ turn that around and, 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 re- you know, redeem that um i think he's gonna be fine i think i really do i think rj's he'll be fine i think here's here's the thing you know i've I've been talking about the whole chris paul thing the last day or so uh or actually well more than the last day or so but you know people are talking about oh my god how stupid could they be giving up you know a, a draft pick and and or a young player for a guy who's 35 years old and i think the thing that people may be glossing over a lot is the fact that, well, there are other young players that will still be here, one of which is RJ Barrett, who you want to talk about a guy who might benefit from oh my God. spending some time with um, Chris Paul. I, I, I think RJ probably tops the list. Yeah, I, I think that'll I, I listen, whether who knows whether it happens or not. But, you know, look, I mean, I think you you're 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 you know, you're writing about it has been. I think has been really smart. I feel like I'm at a place where my, my preference is that they don't sign him. Well, that's my, that's my, my preference too, is that they don't trade for I him, like but fle- you know, flexibility. I, not that I think they're going to sign. I don't think they're going to sign any big free agent like in the next two years, probably. Right. Like, or, or even maybe trade for one. I, I, I'd be surprised. Oh, I don't, I, I don't, I, the, the cap space is, is in terms of, in terms of using the cap space to sign players outright in free agency is like, fifth on my list of concerns for trading for Chris Paul concern for me either. It's more. And I think you mentioned, you know, it's okay. Well, can you use that cap space to do other things that maybe help you improve longer term? And also, but more importantly, it's like, it comes down to like, again, like we don't want to have too good a record next year. Like I'd rather (laughs) not have that eight seed. It's, and I hate thinking that way. I hate, I, 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 way. I, hate, I, dis- I hate my <laughs> talk about, talk about writing, uh, writing, uh, stuff that's like therapy. Um, yeah, I like write about it. I'm like, man, I really don't want to be saying this. I, you know, cause I, you want to root for, like, okay, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I have a buddy of mine who, uh, Bernard, Bernard, uh, Oz, he's been on this podcast several times. He, um, loves the Knicks, but he really loves baseball and he's a saber guy guy through and through believes in you know all like looking at this stuff like it's a science and like analytically and you know any most people who think that way are like okay the knicks are at a perfect position to get a great pick and a terrible or sorry a great pick and a great draft um just do it and even he's been texting me he's like man i know it doesn't make logical sense but I'd really like to see Chris Paul on the next next year. Just I, I just want to see a fun team, you know, do some fun stuff, maybe make some, you know, makes a little bit of noise. And I get it's I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. I, no, I mean, I, look, you know, I think the argument against that I, I'm in the same. I mean, look, the argument against um, right, or the argument for signing him is also saying, like, listen, the lottery yards are flattened. Um, so, you know, if we finish just outside of it, then like we still could wind up with the number one, like, you know, we should have had a better pick than we did this year anyway. So like tanking isn't as incentivized as it's been. Um, and you know, look, there's also questions about, you know, what his health and his production are going to be. I think oddly enough, last year would have made more sense to do it. I I wasn't somebody arguing for it. So I'm not going to claim credit, but it's like, Oh, last year we probably could have gotten, I mean, nobody would have predicted it came out in, uh, oh, I think Berman had it, uh, that Leon Rose was trying to engineer a trade to New York. And <laughs> God, you, you, we, we all would have been mad about it, I think, especially because. Well, but they would have oh, gotten, expecting they would have gotten an asset. They would have got, exactly. Be, and it would have been, it would have been in, uh, several days into free agency. Um, you know, that, well, I, I actually it would have been interesting because, the they made the Knicks made several of those signings right away, and the Chris Paul trade for Russ didn't come until um, 
I forget when it actually happened. It didn't happen until whatever, a little while into free agency. So I don't know what, what that, how that would have worked out, but no, Steve, Steve Mills, you know, we can't go an episode of the show without throwing some more dirt on, on Steve Mills. Grace. Another, another Long Island guy, by the way. Um, oh, bad. Our, our, our record is not good. No, it's not looking great. Okay, there you have it. That was part one of my conversation with comic book creator Mark Sable. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, part two will be coming at you tomorrow. Uh, in addition, on the tail end of tomorrow's podcast, I also spoke with odds maker Rafael Esparza about setting betting lines in the NBA. We also talked a little bit about prop bets for the uh, the NBA draft. So all that is coming up your way in the next episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. In the meantime, thanks so much for tuning into this one. And yeah. Talk to you soon. Giddy up. Thank you.